feisty, fearless, and fair. She's an Emmy-winning journalist from the White House to war zones, telling all sides of the story. This is the Rita Cosby Show. And Nancy Pelosi has some words for Donald Trump. We're going to talk about that later on in the show because some new, never-before-played audio and video has come about through CNN showing basically what was going on behind the scenes and some of the comments. Of course, we heard about the January 6th committee and their subpoena for President Trump. We're going to talk about that also later on in the hour because President Trump says, you know what, maybe I will come if I can come live and unedited, then maybe I will testify. So will the committee take him up on that? We're going to be taking your calls on that later on in the hour. But first, here is the comment from House Speaker Nancy Pelosi that's getting all this buzz. Take a listen to the kind of language and the thoughts that she had about President Trump on January 6th. Secret Service said they have dissuaded him from coming to Capitol Hill. They told him they don't have the resources to protect him here. So at the moment, he is not coming, but that could change. I'll be comfortable. I'm going to punch him out. This is my mom. I would pay to see that. I'm waiting for this, for trespassing on the Capitol grounds. I'm going to punch him out, and I'm going to go to jail, and I'm going to be happy. I'm going to punch him out, I'm going to go to jail, and I'm going to be happy for him trespassing on Capitol Hill. He's the president of the United States. I I mean, this is like insane. It's like she's just treating him like he's some, you know, fifth class citizen, not a second or third class citizen. It's like unbelievable. And we're going to get your reaction to that and what you think of this subpoena to President Trump again later on in the show. Meantime, there is a war on police across this country. And so much heartbreaking news. Of course, two cops killed in Bristol, Connecticut. They were lured. It was an ambush. Uh, There was a 911 call, like, pretending to basically have a domestic dispute so they could lure the cops there. Another one clinging to life at this hour in a hospital. And the other two died. And it is just heartbreaking when you hear the stories about what's happening on the war on police. By the way, the two officers who were killed in that Connecticut case, 35-year-old Sergeant Dustin DeMonte and 34-year-old Alex Hamsey. Um, Thank God for the Tunnels to Towers Foundation. By the way, how beautiful is this? That Sergeant Dusty DeMonte's, Dustin DeMonte's family um, will now have their mortgage paid for immediately by the Tunnels to Towers Foundation. I just think this is the coolest and most beautiful thing um, to do for their family, uh, to think about, you know, taking that burden off of them. He was a 10-year veteran of the force. He leaves behind a pregnant wife and two young kids. And the incredible Tunnels to Towers Foundation is picking up the mortgage for his home in Bristol, Connecticut, of that police sergeant who was murdered. And it is just heartbreaking when you hear all of these shootings that are taking place on police. Why are we seeing a war on police these days? Why are shootings up at an exponential pace? 
ambushes against police officers. This is stunning, guys. 300%. It is up 300%. That's a shocking number. And 50 officers have been killed this year alone across the country. More than 200 have been shot. Um, And this week alone, 12 officers have been shot since Monday. I mean, that is just stunning. This is a stunning number. We got to get a handle on this, guys. We have to respect our law enforcement and appreciate our law enforcement. We have to let them know that we support them, that we care about them. Their job is tough enough. And now, because of, I think, so much of this left-leaning rhetoric, I think it's a breakdown of morals within the family where they're taught to disrespect police. They see parents or other people disrespecting police, and they think, okay, they can get away with it too as they grow up. I think also the revolving door of justice. And I think, clearly, the left's ideology and all these comments coming from people like Cory Bush, who over and over again says, yeah, I would absolutely defund the police, and I stand by it. I would do it time and time again. She just said it recently on Good Morning America. I mean, she doesn't, she's not ashamed of it. It's, to me, it is heartbreaking, and it is creating this really dangerous and now extremely deadly climate for our brave law enforcement officers. What are your thoughts out there? And I also want to hear from law enforcement who also listen to the show because we love you so much. What are your thoughts as to why this is happening now? What can we do to reverse it? And first off, I think so important to elect candidates in November who are law and order. The number is 1-800-848-9222, 1-800-848-9222. First off, here is Emily Campagno on Fox News talking about the verbiage coming from progressives that she says fuels the hate towards law enforcement. There was somehow it became acceptable culturally to be so anti-law enforcement, to not, you can be neutral if, if that's what you choose, but the downright outrageous violent rhetoric has had real life consequences. And while we can't lay blame in particular people's mouths, Rhetoric does matter. Words matter. Actions matter. And that is what has led to this current culture and these irretrievable deaths. And let me play a little bit of Cori Bush since we were just talking about her. First off, here she is on Good Morning America. All right. And she is asked, you know, talk about defund the police. Take a listen. She's not afraid. She just comes right out and says it. Take a listen. You're one of the few Democrats now who still says let's defund the police. Are you worried at all that that could hurt some of your colleagues going into the midterm elections? See, the, the thing about defund the police is we have to tell the entire narrative. People here defund the police, but you know what they'll say? Say reallocate, say divest, say move. Uh, but it's still the same thing. We can't get caught up on the words. We People spend more time focusing on the word defund than they spend on caring and addressing the problem of police violence in this country. And that's what she says is the issue, police violence in this country. I'm sorry. If you walk down the street, I'm not necessarily worried about the police officer attacking me. I'm worried about the thug and the homeless guy and the drugged out guy attacking me. I'm not worried about a police officer who says, hello, how's your day? You know, for some reason, these people are in such la-la land. And this is what she had to say. She doubled down when she was with CNN Don Lemon because it's like, wait a minute. Even Don Lemon was like, there's skyrocketing crime happening around this country. Numbers are through the roof in major cities. And you still believe in defund the police? Take a listen at what she said. 
if you could do it again, would you still double down or use that slogan, defund the Absolutely. police? Absolutely. You would? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. I- Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Of course I would. My goodness. And Pete Hegseth on Fox News says it's this climate and these words that have contributed to the animosity against our great law enforcement. Take a listen. We had one side of the political aisle for years telling the country that those guys right there were the bad guys. Mm -hmm. They're the bad guys. They're the problem. We need less of them. When you create that type of environment, then certain types of people start to believe that it's okay to dispense with those lives. And they have been increasing at a rapid pace, so much so as we talked about the shooting in Bristol, the ambush shooting where somebody clearly, you know, decided, I want to attack police. I want to bring them over. Then there was the case in Raleigh, North Carolina, where it was an off-duty officer. Turns out to be a teenager who was pulling the trigger on a nature trail. And then in Las Vegas, also in the last 48 hours, another officer lost his life. I mean, these shootings are happening time and time again. It is absolutely heartbreaking. So the statement today coming from the National Fraternal Order of Police saying the spewing of anti-police rhetoric by some political and media figures, as well as the failed policies of rogue prosecutors and judges, are placing our officers in great danger. The culture of lawlessness must stop from the head of the National Fraternal Order of Police. This needs to stop. I mean, it is getting out of control. And if you look at the polls, it's like inflation and crime are clearly the two biggest issues. What are your concerns and how do we move the dial so police are finally respected and we can gain control of our streets? one 800 848 9222. Uh, let's go to Matt in Stanford, Connecticut. Go ahead, Matt, your thoughts. Yeah, actually, uh, first off, I want to share, uh, you know, pretty much a uh, resource with regard to all this uh, anti-police uh, rhetoric uh, rising in the country. Uh, it's called Criminals with Badges by Dr. Paul Craig Roberts. All right. Now, and uh, basically it just goes in uh, to, you know, the whole police culture and uh, how, you know, a lot of people are really turning against the police. And I think that's a very good thing. And I'll explain why. Yeah, why? Why? Hold on, hold on. A lot of people on the right have this suicidal attachment to police and law enforcement as being and law enforcement as being on their side. When the fact of the matter is police exist to protect and serve the politicians. Now, and they'll do everything the politicians tell them to do, like that degenerate piece of excrement that killed Ashley Babbitt on January 6th. You think that he gave two rats asses about whether or not she was a law abiding, tax paying American citizen when he murdered her in cold blood? He's still he's still collecting his taxpayer funded salary, his taxpayer funded benefits. But hang on, hang on a second, Matt. Matt and 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 I, I don't want to get too much into the weeds here just because I want to focus on the issue of policing just straight up. How can you say that police are driven by politics? Obviously, uh, they are forced to comply with a lot of the political leaders and the, the structure, as we've seen with no cash bail, which has been a disaster. And different mayors certainly have uh, been more supportive. And we've seen others that have been less supportive. I mean, we've seen, you know, even in New York where they turned their back on de Blasio because they felt he didn't have their back. Um, But I actually strongly disagree 
that police actually have a political agenda. I think they would love to be politics free and not be constrained. They just want to, I think, 99.9999999% are just doing the greatest job they can uh, to protect the streets and protect all of us. And I don't think they're thinking about politics. I do think right now they're worried about getting hauled into an internal affairs because there's some politicians that, like, you know, if a police officer sneezes, he's guilty, you know? And that's a terrible, dangerous climate, not just for the officer, but for all of us, Matt. I mean, I'm confused where you're coming from, but go ahead. Okay, get, okay. Uh, so basically, just to your point, you know, to whether or not they're consumed by politics, whether or not they want to be, the, first of all, the vast majority of them join for economic reasons. Get that out of your head, that they're these heroes there to protect the public. That's a, that's yes. a hogwash, oh, Matt. Matt, oh. that, now I'm going to cut you off because that is absolutely outrageous. Do you think police officers join for, for the money? They don't make that much money. And, and they put their lives on the line? Are you kidding me? I mean, what are you kidding me? Um, they, they could go into like, you know, they could work on Wall Street, work on whatever, you know, do wherever they want to work. I think they'd make a lot more money than being a police officer. But I, go ahead. I'll, I'll let you continue. But go ahead. All right. Well, first of all, back to your point, you know, with regard to why, whether or not they join for economic reasons, number one, the median salary in New York City for a New York City cop after five years is $100,000. For somebody with minimal education and virtually no skill set, tell me where else some other person, a person like that is going to make $100,000 a year. All right. Well, two things, two things. Hang on. No, hang on. Two two things. They got to live in the city. Many of them, they got to live in the neighborhood. It's not cheap to live in New York. And the second thing is, guess what? You put your life on the line. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you know, whatever the price tag is, I don't think there's any price tag for doing what they're doing to protect all of us. I think it's actually uh, priceless. I'm not sure where you're coming from, Matt, um, but I think you need to go to Police 101. But but I like you, and I appreciate the call. We're going to continue your calls, everybody, after the break. Matt says cops are political. They're all about money. Uh, I say it's a bunch of hogwash, and that's the most ridiculous call I think I've gotten in a long time. 1-800-848-9222. The Rita Cosby Show. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. It's the Rita Cosby Show. Loosely by 38 Special, and I think Matt is holding on loosely to his facts because he seems to think that cops are driven by politics and they're making too much money. What kind of planet is that guy on? What's an interesting way to start on a Friday night? And take a listen. Here is Kennedy on Fox News earlier because she says the politics are coming from the police, but from the local politicians that are creating this revolving door for criminals and making the cops' job so much harder. 
And now more than ever, we need good law enforcement officers. We need people who are invested in their communities, uh, who want to keep people safe, and who, who want their cities to be awesome. And we're not getting that because, you know, the mayors have turned their backs on these police departments and the DAs are running the show. And, and guess what? They're running cities into the ground and it is squarely at their feet. And then she asked the question that I think any normal person other than Matt out there is thinking. A lot of those protests that have been taken up by mayors, you know, it's, it's just so they can seem cool. It's so they can pacify the progressive left. But, you know, people who live in cities that have been overrun with crime and homelessness, you look around and, you know, you hope at some point voters go, well, this way is not working. And you're absolutely right, because it is the mayors who are the bridge between the DAs and the police departments. And there is a total disconnect. Uh, police departments feel completely unsupported. Who would want to be a cop right now how sad is that who would want to be a cop right now because uh, they don't make that much money matt and they're not playing politics matt either and listen to detective mark Furman talks about what i was saying that if they do anything wrong or even if they don't do anything wrong they get hauled into internal review they bring them in and they say hey what did you do why'd you do this didn't you? Why didn't you call in? Why didn't you do all the paperwork before you chased the person down and arrested him? I mean, how can they do their job? Take a listen. Who wants to be a, a police officer when your very leadership, that's the immediate leadership on your department, lieutenants, captains, deputy chiefs, are looking at you not for doing a good job, but what you did wrong? The officer doesn't stand a chance. We've gone from proactive police work, go out and get the bad guys before they commit a crime, to reactive police work, show up and take a report. And this is the state of affairs here, and any officer that's, tr that's going to be proactive or aggressive is a problem. Yeah, that, how sad is that? So that puts them in the box where they don't want to go after and chase a suspect. They don't want to do anything that could potentially get them hauled in or get them fired or get them ostracized in this climate. What a sad situation. And how are they going to support all of us and also protect themselves? 1-800-848-9222. Uh, let's go to Norm on line six. Uh, Norm, I, you may have heard the call from uh, Matt. Yes. I mean, that's yes. outrageous. Go ahead. I'm, I'm fired up. It's Friday no. night. No, what you what you heard before from Matt was that uh, wacky, crazy slice of the uh, of the right that uh, does exist, unfortunately. And um, you know, I mean, I I think most cops. I mean, I have a lot of friends who are cops. Um, one is Ray Calvo. He's in Pennsylvania right now. Hi, Ray. And uh, <laughs> basically, uh, they get, uh, I think they get into it because they just want to they want to do good and they want to make a living. Uh, as far as the as far as uh, uh, Matt's statement saying that uh, they have no skills, um, uh, no, uh, you are required to have a high school education. Most cops uh, that I can see have military, have some education, uh, uh, have, have a high school, and I believe now they have to have college uh, or military. And by, and by the way, you heard what I said, Norm, too. Like, there's right. there's no price for first of all, the starting salary. He was saying, you know, after five years, it gets to close mm -hmm. to a hundred thousand. Um, give me a break. These people put their lives on the line. They work extraordinary hours. They work unbelievable conditions. Um, they, you know, live near or in around New York City, uh, which is not cheap either, and going more and more expensive every day. 
and uh, for the price and the training that they go through, they're the best among us. And he makes it sound like they're like garbage picker uppers. I mean, it's outrageous, Norm. I have a few seconds left. Go ahead. Um, I, they, they certainly don't get into it for, quote, political reasons. And I think if you ask 10 cops, you'll get 10. You know, I mean, they will. First, if they're on duty, they won't talk about their politics. But uh, if, you know, you'll get 10 different answers. So. All right, Norm, thank you very, very much. We're going to continue with your calls. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Rita Cosby is on. The Rita Cosby Show presents Back the Blue. And in tonight's Back the Blue segment, which we love doing here every night on the show where we honor our great Great law enforcement and also their families. A powerful story coming from Ohio, where a local law enforcement officer's military background and prompt actions resulted in her saving the life of a very young boy. Dispatchers sent Milan, Ohio, police officer Justina DeMarchi to a village residence for an unresponsive infant. As DeMarchi pulled up to the address, the child's mom, Ashley Loden, held her lifeless infant and handed the boy, Cooper, who was just one years old, to the officer. Because of the medical condition, the mom said that he chokes a lot, but normally he doesn't just pass out. We were eating dinner. I saw his face down in the plate of spaghetti. He was having a seizure, and I couldn't get his mouth open. DeMarchi, the officer, instantly noticed that the little boy couldn't breathe and his body went totally limp. She began performing a series of jaw thrusts and also back thrusts, and the jaw thrusts enabled her to open the little boy's mouth to remove the food that was blocking his airwaves. The mom said, thank God for this officer. Uh, Then the officer, by the way, credited her Army training for preparing her in handling a situation like this. She also received a life-saving award from the city council, saying that she is a great example of true heroes living in our community. And how great and lucky that she was there in the nick of time to be able to save this beautiful little boy. And it just is a great example of the incredible work that our law enforcement does every single day and how every day is different. No call is the same. They don't know what they're going to approach. In fact, we talked about the case, horrible case out of Bristol, Connecticut this week, where three officers were ambushed. One is now clinging to life at a hospital. Two were killed, uh, and they were lured by a guy who was pretending that it was a domestic call, a 911 call, and he opened fire. And it just shows how dangerous, how deadly, and how difficult the job is for law enforcement. And this is Jackie DeAngelis on Fox News. She was one of the hosts um, on Outnumbered today. And she said, you know what? It's this rhetoric from not just the community, but certainly law enforcement, where they are just criticizing police at every turn. And President Biden and others in leadership positions are just standing back. They're not basically saying this has to stop. They're allowing this hardcore progressive rhetoric from the left, like Cori Bush, who we played earlier. Take a listen. This is what Jackie DeAngelis said about the role that Biden has or the inaction that he has. Inaction matters, too. So when the president stands up and says everything's okay and we're not defunding the police and and we don't have a problem in this country, that's also a problem. The Democrats doubling down on defund the police is one issue. The people who are doing nothing is another issue. 
And Kayleigh McEnany, also on the show there, too, also said that Biden needs to basically put people like Cori Bush in her place. For years, we had a political party that perpetuated the anti-cop narrative. It is still, by the way, still. I know the president says, oh, we're not for defund the police. Well, get Cori Bush in line, who was just asked by George Stephanopoulos if she still supports it. She said, oh, it's not about nomenclature. Yes, you know, essentially is what she said. We support it. So, Mr. President, call your members into the White House. Pretty powerful place. Look them in the eye and say, done with this. Enough officers have died. Yeah, absolutely. Time to get tough and stand up for our law enforcement. My goodness. I mean, it's like silence from the White House and then horrible rhetoric from the far left and then other people in the community. Every time an officer, there's any shooting, it's like, oh, the cop did this, as opposed to giving them the benefit of the doubt or investigating. And now we're seeing these ambushes on police. Again, ambushes up 300 percent. That is a stunning, stunning number. 1-800-848-9222, 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Pete, line one. Pete, your thoughts about this? Yeah, really, you know, that guy that called up and said about the police, the police put their heart and soul into their job. These people, how could you criticize them? I mean, they give their lives to them, and if they make a split decision mistake, they're done. I mean, look at the... Volpe and the rest of them. I mean, crazy stuff, you know. Uh, everybody that wants to criticize those guys, they when they go out, they don't know if they're coming home. I mean, really. I mean, it's almost same thing with the fire department. You say you don't even say goodbye to your family. You say, "I'll see you later." I hope. Absolutely, one thousand percent, Pete. Uh, I one thousand percent agree. And and you know, you just got to say a prayer that they come back safely. And no matter, you know, for for people to sit there and go, oh, they make all this money, they don't have experience. And like that, that was just, a, it was a ridiculous call from that guy. I'm glad uh, you feel the same way I do too, Pete. Let's go to Rich. Uh, line seven, Rich, your thoughts. I, I did six years in the military and four years with NYPD. And oh, I great. Just thank you. By the way, thank you. Thank you for it. your service. Yes. Thank you. Um, but the last thing I did it for was the money. I was making, in 1999, I was making $80,000 a year. I started making 30000 with NYPD. Wow. And the reason we do it is to serve. And the people that called in earlier have no idea what that's about. Yeah, that guy, clearly, I, I he's like uh, reading some, like, fairy tale, you know? Yeah, but, I mean, every night I was going out, my family didn't know where I was in the middle of the night. I was walking up and down the projects alone with very little support. For $30,000 a year, I could barely feed my family. I literally had to leave after four years because I was working seven days a week. It's a ridiculous comment. Yeah, it is a ridiculous comment. You know, how do we change this, Rich, so people really understand the sacrifice that you guys make and gals make every single day um, on the job and also have just more appreciation. How do we change this so there isn't this horrible uh, anti-police rhetoric by a sliver? I don't think it's the majority of America, but the fact that there's even a sliver is outrageous. I think if you require two years of military service or some kind of community service when people graduate high school, they'd have a different idea about their community. That's a great point. Because then they would feel a, an attachment 
and a connection. You know, you know what I think about, Rich, as you're talking about it? I think of Israel. Israel, you know, you have the mandatory service. You have the two years mandatory service, either military or civilian, typically military. And there is such like uh, an attachment there to the country. And also they get great skill sets, too, by, you know, by being in the military or, or you know, in patrol, whatever layers that they are in the military, whether they're on the front line, whether they're in the technology part of it. But they understand just how what it means to defend the country, you know, and defend the homeland. And we've sort of, like you just said, we've lost that. I think a lot of Americans take it for granted um, that there are people who are willing to strap on, you know, uh, you know, their holster and get out there and protect all of us every day. Um, have you talked to people on the force recently, Rich? Because, I mean, it's it's really tough out there, especially of late with these recent ambushes and the other attacks. It's horrible. Yeah, they're basically very discouraged. They don't want to take action for fear of reprisal. So, and and everything about the the education is is ridiculous. They require at least two years of education right now. I have an engineering degree, so that's the last thing I needed to do. Um, currently, I make one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. So, at the end of the day, uh, these are intelligent, capable, willing people. Yeah, one thousand percent. I agree. and Rich, thank you very much for calling too, because you've been there Thanks right on the front call. lines. First time I ever called in. Oh, I'm so glad you did. Thank you. That makes me really happy. Thank you very much, Rich. We really appreciate it. By the way, everybody, um, we do a new podcast every week. It is called Protecting America. And we profile different people, and they talk about different current events. I had on a blockbuster one. We just posted it a few hours ago, and it's with former NYPD detective Angel Masonette. And Angel and I talked about what it is like to be there, like on the front lines, and how tough it is to be a cop right now. And we talked about just how many police officers feel dispirited and are leaving the force. Take a listen. Here's a little bit of our conversation from the podcast, Protecting America, that we just posted a few hours ago. You can get it on my Twitter, at Rita Cosby. Also, you can get it on at 77 WABC. Wherever you download podcasts, make sure you check it out. Protecting America with Rita Cosby and Angel Masonette. Here's a bit of our conversation, former NYPD detective. How tough is the morale of the police force right now? Oh, it's horrible. It's horrible. Listen, the NYPD is working without a contract. They've been working without a contract for years. You know, again, they're leaving the city in droves, right? People are vesting out. They're leaving before their time is up. They're not even getting a pension, and they're going to different municipalities. The morale is in the toilet, for lack of a better term. Again, you don't have politicians who are backing you. You don't have leaders, quote-unquote, who turned into politicians who are backing you. And let me tell you something, and I know this to be true. The community wants us out there. The community wants us out there working. The good people in the community, which is the vast majority of the community, want us out there doing our jobs. But they're afraid. They're afraid to say anything. They're afraid to come out and openly back the police because they live amongst, unfortunately, a criminal element because they're stuck. And if you express your support for the police, people take that as you're not supporting us being the criminals and people who love them. So it's quite the conundrum for people who live in the inner city and have no way out. So not only is the morale for the police low, but those who support the police who live in the inner cities, who live in these areas who are being decimated by crime, they don't have morale either, the morale to support the police, and they feel like they're trapped. 
What a sad situation for all of us, not just law enforcement, but for all of us who need to rely on them each and every day. Make sure you check out the podcast. Again, it's Protecting America with Angel Masonette, and you can download it wherever you get your podcast. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Robert. Um, Robert in Westchester, New York. Go ahead, Robert, your thoughts. Hi, good evening. The example of the disrespect that the criminals have for the police is set from on high by the far-left politicians. And I want to cite an example. When that unfortunate accident happened or incident happened in Minneapolis, the mayor of Minneapolis allowed the people to burn the police department down. To me, that was like a signal fire. That's my opinion. And we had a chain reaction all over the country from that. You know, Robert, I agree with you. I remember when that happened. And and I said, it's funny, you know, sad that we thought the same thing because it's it. I had the same gut feeling when I saw that police station burn down. I thought it's it there. They're, it's a lawless city now because the minute you have the authority uh, to burn down the city, and the mayor basically told everybody to stand back. You know, I mean, the minute you surrender the police department, and it was the police department being told that by the politicians in that town, it set off a chain reaction. I agree. The the thugs yeah. felt emboldened, and they did that in other cities too. Yeah, I watched on TV where police were being run over. One police officer in the Bronx was knocked twenty feet by another car, twenty feet, and he happened to live through the whole thing. And the other thing is, now, we have, I just heard Andrew Cuomo is saying that Zeldin is, who is for law and order, he's a law and order candidate, of which Hochul obviously is not. He says Zeldin is out of touch with the New York population. What planet does this guy come from? <laughs> yeah, and by the way, I guess, uh, in fact, Cuomo uh, did an exclusive interview with Cindy Adams that's going to air on 77 WABC over the weekend. And um, when you hear uh, the comments, you know, it's, you know, it's when he when I heard that, Robert, I took that as him being a politician. He's a Democrat. I don't think he is thinking of changing parties. And I think he wants to keep his options open um, to maybe leave the door open if he's going to run again or not. He didn't rule out that. He might not run again for something. So I think he still wants to try to keep good graces with the Democratic Party no matter what. But to me, just as you said, there is a very stark difference in the handling of law and order between Kathy Hochul and Lee Zeldin. And Lee Zeldin sadly felt it firsthand with that shooting that took place just last weekend, Sunday night in front of his home when his two 16-year-old daughters were inside. You know, the shooting right there and the guys were hiding under his porch. I mean, it was a gang shooting. Oh, my gosh. Uh, And you bring up a great point, Robert, because it's time when you go to the voting booth, uh, you know, anybody, when you go to the voting booth, you got to think who's going to keep you safe. Because if you don't feel safe, none of this other stuff matters. You know, if you can't walk down the street, um, you know, inflation is obviously a huge issue, but it's all tied to crime, too. If the cities are are safer more economy, businesses thrive, individuals thrive. I mean, there's just so many things connected to that, and that is priority number one, which is why we got to back our men and women in blue. Robert, thank you very, very much. 
Um, let's go to Mike in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, because I'm a University of South Carolina grad. Mike, go ahead. Oh, Rita, that's great, man. I grew up on Long Island. This is my third time as a snowbird. Oh, lucky you. you. Lucky. I love Myrtle Beach. I I went to University of uh, South Carolina right there in beautiful Columbia. been to Myrtle Beach many times. I've lost a lot of golf balls in Myrtle Beach, but go ahead. (laughs) Oh, I found a lot of golf balls in Long Island. That's another story. (laughs) uh, That's funny. You know, Rita, I I called you maybe this is the third time in a year and a half. I've called up um, uh, Frank Morano and Curtis. Curtis is my age. Uh, this gets me riled. You know what? I've, I've had friends who retired, NYPD, Nassau County, Suffolk. And I always say, I have a sticker on my Toyota. You know, I back the badge. Back the blue, people. It's turning into a killing field. Major cities. Philadelphia. Okay? And Chicago, New York. And this New York mayor, well, what a piece of you-know-what. He's sitting on his hands, doing nothing. And they're walking really... A buddy of mine's son just uh, made NYPDs. They're six months. I said, Charlie, get him out. It's, it's, a, it's like they're walking blue targets and outrageous behavior, outrageous behavior, especially from the far-left democratic socialist uh, genre, Biden and his, and his uh, people – Give it a deaf ear and a blind eye. It's outrageous. It is. And, and you bring up some great points because in New York, especially, my goodness, uh, you sit there and you look at like Tiffany Caban, you look at AOC. Uh, there's a number of these politicians that still suggest, hey, you know, if you see a mentally disturbed person, go over to them, talk to them, you know, help them out. Um, you know, it's, it's like, uh, what are you kidding me? Lock them up. If they're violent. Lock them up and throw away the key. You know, I mean, this repeat offenders and over and over again, it is just, it's stunning, Mike. And the soft on crime politicians, especially in this climate, um, it's, it is, it, I almost think like, what, are they on another planet? Are, are they looking at another world? Because we see it every single day. And it's a stark contrast to where you are now, to the streets of New York and the streets of L.A. and the, the streets of a lot of big cities. Um, so you're a lucky snowbird, my friend. Mike, thank you very much for calling. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks, Mike. We appreciate it. Uh, when we come back, everybody, Rita's Ringers. I always love hearing from all of you. And we've gotten a lot of great calls tonight. See who made this week's Rita's Ringers. We have a couple editions this week, but round one coming up after the break. It's the Rita Cosby Show. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. This is the Rita Cosby Show. And all of you are in my heart. This is the Queen of Hearts, I believe, right? All right, I guessed it. I know my music here on the Friday night on the Rita Cosby Show. Well, I love your calls, everybody. And on Friday night, we love showcasing them. Also, call through the week. And see if you make it to Rita's Ringers 
Here is one of our additions this week of one of our favorite, some of our favorite calls. But here is Rita's Ringers. Take a listen. I miss your shows. I'm hurt. When I don't hear from you, I'm hurting too, Phil. Rita, always a pleasure. And every time I talk to you, I just feel good. If you were a betting girl, which you may be. Sid, I bet every day I put you on the show. This is Rita's Ringers. Uh, let's go to Dom. Uh, line one. Dom, your thoughts. Yeah, Rita, you know, the next busload of migrants that Governor Abbott sends to New York should have a limerick attached to the side of the bus. It says, Baba, black sheep, have you any kids? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Three buses full. One for the mayor and one for the governor and one for the little boy who lives in the White House. <laughs> Rita, could I tell you something? He'll please, plead. Dan, please. Okay. He'll plead the fifth 1,000 times, more than Al Capone. Oh, no, he won't. Oh, Stan. he'll plead it. And if he doesn't, he has to tell the truth, Rita. And there's no. he can bring a lawyer with him, absolutely. Yeah, how you doing? Uh, first, I got to say you're a class act. I mean, you know, they throw barbs at you and you just retort with facts. I think uh, an important point that these guys are missing. Are the facts? It, <laughs> yeah, not just the facts. <laughs> But also the fact that the Democrats get a pass on violent rhetoric. I mean, they actually encourage and specifically tell people to confront. And then you saw it with Scalise, who got shot. Well, first of all, um, Rita, thanks for taking my call. I, I, I listen to you guys every night. I wake up with WABC and I go to sleep with WABC. And, Thank and you. You guys are great. Yeah, I mean, first of all, he left one word out when he said, Name one president who has done more than me. He should have said more damage than me because he has done a lot of damage. Maybe that was what he was referring to, but he left that out because that just happened to not show up in his mind. That's a great with his brain. That's a great you know, point, Tone. Mouth. Tone, that. that's great. And maybe that's what he meant. Maybe he meant, look who's destroyed America. Rita's Ringers. <laughs> And see if you make it every Friday night. Put your calls in through the week to me. You know I love hearing from all of you guys. And see if you make it to our Rita's Ringers. We're going to have another installment of Rita's Ringers, by the way, in the next hour in about 45 minutes, 50 minutes or so from now. So make sure uh, that you tune in for that. Coming up, we're going to continue with your calls talking about this terrible war on police and the revolving door of justice And also, one of the biggest injustices, I think, uh, it is stunning. We all remember the Parkland shooting. This was at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, taking place in Florida. Um, The shooter, Nicholas Cruz, pled guilty. It was obvious that he did it. And he killed 17 people, 14 students, three staff members. He could have faced the death penalty, They did not get a unanimous verdict. He escaped the death penalty. If the death penalty is not for something, this case is a beaming example. I mean, this is stunning. 1-800-848-9222. Feisty, fearless, and fair. She's an Emmy-winning journalist from the White House to war zones, telling all sides of the story. This is the Rita Cosby Show. And we are talking about 
Non-justice in America, because I'm disgusted tonight. When I saw the decision that happened by this jury in Florida, in Parkland, Florida, and this is surrounding what is the deadliest high school shooting in U.S. history at Parkland, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, took place February 14th, Valentine's Day, 2018, so more than four years ago. We know Nicholas Cruz walks into the school, opens fire mercilessly. The students and the teachers are begging for their lives, and he just shot them in cold blood. He even pleaded guilty to it, by the way, last year. So there's not a gray. You see it. Everybody knew he did it. There wasn't any question about whether he was the gunman or not. Like, he was clearly the guy who did it. And he even pled guilty to it. Fourteen students, three staff members, 17 precious lives. More than that injured, too, as well. And it's just amazing. They go into the jury room. They hear all the case. He's entered a guilty plea. And the way it works in Florida is you have to have a unanimous decision for the death penalty. This, If there's ever a death penalty case, this is it. You see this monster? He clearly killed these people in cold blood, these young kids begging for their lives. And if there's ever a case for the death penalty, this is the epitome of it. It's either death penalty or life in prison. So it goes to the jury room, and most people thought it was going to be a really quick case. It actually took them quite a while in the jury room. And now reports are that it got extremely heated in the jury room. And then suddenly the jury comes back with this decision and says that it, since it is not unanimous, that now it will essentially be life in prison. Take a listen. Can you imagine being a parent, being in there, finally wanting justice for your child, and suddenly the jury comes back. They know he's the trigger man. He's pled guilty. The guy is an is a absolute monster, doesn't deserve to be alive in my book. I want to hear your thoughts because to me it's shocking. And yet he gets life in prison. He gets a more lenient sentence than he could have gotten. I would have said firing squad. Forget even. I would have said, give me the gun. You know, but let me let me roll, pull him out here for what he did. I mean, it's outrageous. It is outrageous. So here is a father of a Parkland victim. Can you imagine what is going through their mind? They are furious tonight and feel that justice has failed them. Take a listen. I'm disgusted with the system. That you can allow 17 dead and 17 others shot and wounded and not give the death penalty. What do we have the death penalty for? What is the purpose of it? And here is another father of a different victim commenting. We thought that we were finally going to get justice for what he did to Alex and all the innocent others And uh, we're just devastated, my wife and I. We thought that we were going to get the death penalty today. It's it's so upsetting to hear that that one individual prevented that from happening. And now there are reports that one juror, almost from day one, didn't really believe in the death penalty and didn't want the death penalty almost no matter what. And what happened was the defense in this case, as defenses do— 
and I've covered many trials. They sit and say, okay, here's the horrible person. Here's this. Here's that. And then the other side says on the defense side, oh, Johnny was such a nice young man. Johnny was sweet. He borrowed, you know, he got ice cream for the neighbor when he was four years old. And he also has neurological problems. He has psychological issues. Maybe he had problems with his parents. Maybe there were all these other things. And one of the jurors basically felt that those which are mitigating factors versus aggravating factors was enough to spare his life. I'm sorry, but there have been so many crimes of late that have taken place around the country. And I think about so many of the ones where somebody has had lots of mental issues. How about the guy opened fire on the train in New York? You know, how about the guy who killed the woman at the furniture store in Los Angeles? Yeah, they clearly had mental issues, but they sh- everybody, somebody who's going to do a horrible crime clearly has a mental issue. That is not an excuse. And when someone has committed, committed so much violence and such horrible violence, of course they're nuts. But that's not a reason to save their life. I really, I, I feel so strongly on this case that it is so outrageous and my heart breaks for the family members. Here is a father of another Parkland victim explaining how he describes what that one juror did and the perception of that one juror. One juror either didn't understand the facts in this case or was dishonest with themselves when they signed up to become a juror and would never have voted for the death penalty because you cannot look at the facts of this case, look at the cruel and inhumane way the 17 victims were treated, that he went back and shot again those that were already down on the ground. I've seen the video as part of the MSD commission. I saw him walk up to Coach Hickson and shoot him in cold blood as Chris Hickson was lying there on the ground. I will never forget that video. I will never forget what I saw that day. It is gut-wrenching to hear. And it is outrageous that one person on the jury said, oh, I feel sorry for him for what he did. Do you think that this guy's going to be reformed? I mean, is there anybody out there that thinks that this guy is going to suddenly, you know, see the light of day and that he should be able to be at some point up for parole or even to be just spared his life after what he did so mercilessly and horrible in that school shooting? I mean, what does it take? I mean, is it is it that like that there's no death penalty whatsoever in this country? Like, is there is there somebody out there that says, oh, this guy deserves a break? 1-800-848-9222, 1-800-848-9222. I am so sick, especially of these liberal politicians that are like, oh, if somebody has mental issues, we have to get them help. You know, uh, that's what the case was in that. Remember that horrible guy who stabbed the EMT the other day? And he apparently was loony kazoony. Everybody said he had mental problems. Well, the... Basically, politician in that area said, if you see mental people in the area, go talk to them. Ask them if they went to high school with you. You think you want to be talking to somebody like that? 
and be on their radar? Are you kidding me? I mean, that's the craziest thing. Those kind of people, there are people that are so dangerous and so off kilter, they just need to be locked up. And I feel bad for them. I feel sorry that they had a heartache, but it doesn't mean that they can take out and kill 17 people and wound dozens of others. And this guy should have been put to death. The full book should have been thrown at this guy. To me, it's like if there is ever the worst of the worst case, and there was a juror who basically from the very beginning apparently felt sorry for him and apparently got so heated in the jury room that there were threats made. Uh, Governor DeSantis is looking into it now tonight because things were just so horrible apparently in the jury room because this person just wouldn't budge. Was like, oh, I feel bad for what he went through, and I feel boo-hoo-hoo. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Jerry on line four. Jerry, go ahead. Your thoughts. I mean, it's it's fine to feel sorry for someone, but after when you're basically the equivalent of a serial killer, which is ultimately what he was, you don't feel sorry for him. You do what needs to be done. You give them what they need to do, the last meal, and put them where they need to be. That's number one. Number two, it's reflective of what's going on all across the country because now what we have is complete chaos in every darn city and every darn state because of political correctness by the left-wing politicians or left-wing district attorneys. And it's it's, it's pulling the country apart and making making – Making uh, making it more difficult for a, ra- a normal person to live, these people should either get the death penalty or the ones that really need help. We should reinstitute basically uh, putting them back in institutions and giving those that we can help help and those that we can't just do what needs to be done by execution. It's a hell of a lot more. You got a person that, what, was out? In New York, and he basically killed someone. What was arrested forty or forty-seven times in three years? That's outrageous. It is. It's like how many uh, breaks do you need? You know. I mean, you're absolutely right, Jared. Thank you very much. Uh, let's go to Ken in Maryland. Ken, your thoughts about this case? Um, this isn't so much about this case, but just in general about the, the death penalty. Um, so I'm conservative, uh, but I have maybe a funny idea about the whole thing, and that is I could murder this kid who did this and would never lose a night's sleep. But that said, I'm against the death penalty because I don't think the state should be in that business. You just feel like there is no reason for the death penalty under any circumstance, Ken? No, that's not what I said. Um, I, I don't believe that the government can be trusted to implement the death penalty. And What do you mean by that? What do you think? It, what, I'm, I'm confused. Do you feel like, what, the government wouldn't implement it? Or where, where are you going with this? Oh, I don't trust the government. And uh, I don't trust that they're going to get it right all the time. So, therefore, I don't think that it should be a thing that the government should be entrusted to. I think if... Some guy, like, well, not like me, <laughs> but um, if, if somebody were to kill this kid, good for them. He should die. But I don't think that this is a power we should cede to the authorities. 
Interesting point. Interesting point. Ken, thank you very much. Let's go to Richie. Uh, line five. Richie, your thoughts about this? Um, good evening, Rita. Um, what I think is outrageous about this case, about any death penalty case, is the Supreme Court decision that took sentencing out of the hands of the judge and put it in the hands of the jury. Yeah, no, that's an interesting point. I mean, obviously, different cases go directly to the judge. Some go to the jury. It depends on states. It depends on certain cases. Um, but it, but you know what's interesting, Rich? In this case, I wonder what happened because this woman seems from day one was reluctant to give him the death penalty. So it So it makes me wonder why was she even on the jury? Because to qualify for a death penalty eligible case, you have to say you would be willing to give the death penalty. Not that you're going to give it because you obviously want to be open-minded and hear the case. Um, But she clearly sounds like from day one, didn't this person on the jury did not want to give the death penalty. Or maybe maybe she liked his eyes or liked his hair or something kooky like that. Who knows? Or maybe she lied under voir dire. Yeah. That's the other thing. Great point. Rich, thank you. Very, very good point. Let's go to Stan. Uh, line one, Stan, your thoughts about this. Hi, hi. First, uh, two things. Quite, to the gentleman who called, he said he couldn't do it. We are in the killing business. It's called war. When we have war, we kill. We authorize our citizens as soldiers to kill. So that's, that's one legitimization that we do. But the key point I want to bring up, we have a system in the, in the justice system called Guadir. You know what I'm talking about. Yep, yep, jury selection. The lawyers take absolute precision time to pick out uh, uh, certain jurors that they think will go their way. These guys sat for weeks to pick out specific jurors. And okay, they had the case, and once they picked them, that's it. It's throwing the dice. They make the best case they can. I thought it was three people that voted against it. Was it one? I thought it was three. There was one from the very beginning who was, was absolutely steadfast. Uh, one, I believe. I'll check. The, I know yeah, there I was one was three, from the very okay. beginning. The key, point yep. is, the key point is, you know, the families of these people, I, I sympathize totally with these people, 100%. But that's the system we have, Guardier. I don't know how we change it. The lawyers pick the best people they think will go their way. And it's a great system. Sometimes it does go their way. The only good thing about this is this guy will never see the light of day, and he should never get any meals served to him at all. Yeah, no, Stan, I agree with you on that, my friend. Have a great weekend. Thank you very much. And by the way, when we come back uh, to exactly what Stan was saying, uh, hopefully this guy will never see the light of day. We're going to read some statements from some of the family members of what they hope happens to him in prison. 1-800-848-9222. You're listening to The Rita Cosby Show. This is The Rita Cosby Show. Little Johnny Cash, I walk the line. Look at this. On a Friday night here on The Rita Cosby Show. It's named that tune. (laughs) Anyway, we are talking, sadly, about this horrible case of the Parkland shooter. And he killed 17 people, 14 students, three staff members. And it goes before the jury. And one juror apparently would not budge. 
and looked at the mental health and behavioral problems and issues in his family and said, basically, I can't give the guy the death penalty. If the death penalty is not appropriate for this kind of a case, then what case is it good for? Wow. This to me is shocking. Well, this is a father of a Parkland victim who couldn't believe that a jury fell for the old sympathy trick. The jurors let us down. We have a jury system for a reason, and they let us down. They gave their personal beliefs, but they didn't go by the evidence. There was no mitigating factors. I'm sorry. Any mitigation was disproven clearly in the court. There's no reason. And if there is a reason, then why are we, why are we allowing people to just go randomly kill others? Is that, is that what we're telling our society? But it, 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 there's mitigating factors, a lot of hogwash. Yeah, a lot of hogwash. That's a nice way to say it. And this is what Governor Ron DeSantis had to say, because remember, Parkland, uh, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas School there in Parkland is in Florida. Take a listen. This verdict uh, with the Parkland killer, uh, I think that uh, if you have a death penalty at all, uh, that that is a case where you're massacring those students with premeditation uh, and utter disregard for basic humanity, that you deserve the death penalty. And so the jurors came back. Apparently it was 11 to 1 with one holdout refusing to authorize uh, the ultimate punishment. And that means that uh, this killer is going to end up uh, getting a same sentence of people who've committed bad acts, but acts that did not rise to this level. I just don't think anything else is appropriate uh, except the capital sentence in this case. And so I was very disappointed to see that. Yeah, I think so many people are. Can you imagine family member? Well, Fred Gutenberg, his 14-year-old daughter, Jamie, was killed in the attack. He said the jury failed our families. But I'll tell you, this monster is going to prison. And in prison, I hope and pray he receives the same kind of mercy from prisoners that he showed to my daughter and to the 16 others. Wow. Uh, I can't I can't even imagine how outraged they are. Uh, let's go to Diane. Line one. Go ahead, Diane. Your thoughts. Actually, to throw my thunder, because I was saying to your uh, call answer that um, <laughs> other criminals, uh, they don't really go for uh, child molesters or child murderers. So there is a good chance that he will We get justice done to him when he's in prison. Yeah, you know, and of course, listen, you don't want, uh, you know, you don't want uh, that to happen, but um, he'll probably be in isolation, and I hope he has a miserable time in prison, that's for sure. Uh, We're going to continue with the calls after the break, everybody. 1-800-848-9222. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. Rita Cosby is on. The Rita Cosby Show presents Support Our Heroes. 
And in tonight's Support Our Heroes segment, where we honor our great military and their families, a beautiful story coming from Midlothian, Virginia, where a World War II veteran was presented with a Congressional Gold Medal for his service to his country during a special ceremony, and it happened just yesterday. Captain George T. Warsham served in the Merchant Marines, which was known as the nation's fourth arm of defense. Captain Warsham was one of those who sailed through the perilous waters and among those who tirelessly delivered nearly 270 billion tons of critical cargo to support our armed forces overseas. By the way, indeed, some 733 merchant marine ships were sunk due to enemy attacks, which resulted in more than 9,500 mariners paying the ultimate sacrifice. Captain Warsham survived the sinking of his ship during World War II, but went right back to sea, and he continued serving for another 33 years. Worsham said when he received the Congressional Gold Medal yesterday that he was very honored, very honored, but he also said it's bittersweet. I had a whole bunch of buddies who went down with that ship, and it's very hard to explain. Congress recently voted to award the Congressional Gold Medals to Merchant Marines. I was there actually on Capitol Hill in D.C. when they were unveiled and first presented. And I can tell you firsthand there was not a dry eye in the place. It was really beautiful to see these amazing heroes finally recognized for their great service so many years later. And they, boy, did they deserve it. Well, we are talking about the Parkland shooting because Nicholas Cruz, who opened fire, killing 14 students and three teachers, his case finally four years after the brutal attack uh, that claimed those lives and destroyed so many others, too, as well. Well, it goes to the jury, and the jury cannot reach any unanimous decision. There's at least one juror who says, no, these mitigating factors that he had a you know, rough upbringing and mental issues and all that, I'm going to take that into account. And they basically didn't have enough votes to get the death penalty, which is just if there's ever a case for a death penalty, this guy pled guilty. There's not a question. It wasn't like it's like it's not a who done it. It's he did it. It was ruthless. It was merciless. And the victims' families are outraged. Listen to one of the mothers of a Parkland victim. Can you imagine being a parent and seeing that justice has not been served? We are beyond disappointed with today. This should have been the death penalty, 100%. 17 people were brutally murdered on February 14, 2018. I sent my daughter to school, and she was shot eight times. I am so beyond disappointed and frustrated with this outcome. I do not understand. How heartbreaking. Many of the parents sat there like every day through trial and just wanted to make sure that this guy would get his due. Death penalty eligible cases in the state of Florida And Governor Ron DeSantis said he's going to look into us because there's some comments about jury intimidation. There's apparently got very heated in the jury room. There was at least one juror who apparently almost from day one didn't want to go for the death penalty and, quote, felt basically sorry for the guy. Uh, So, you know what? I'm sorry. I don't have any sorriness for him whatsoever. I feel so bad for the parents 
and for anybody that was affected by this monster. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Uh, let's go to Tom on line five. Tom, your thoughts about the case? Yeah, hello. It's, uh, I like to say that we're being, this public is being subjected to true stories and hoaxes. Sandy, Connecticut, to me, was a hoax. And this may be Sandy, Connecticut, too. Wait, 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 Tom. I I have to ask you a question. You actually think that Sandy Hook, Connecticut, Newtown, where that terrible shooting happened, uh, you think it's a hoax and you think that Parkland's a hoax? Are you drinking? Are you on, like, some serious kind of drugs? Because that, to me, is one of the most outrageous comments. Go ahead. It has listen. It has to be there's something here. If you examine Sandy, Connecticut, there's a lot of financial reasons for the town to to keep hoaxes going. Oh, that's ridiculous. Tom, Tom, I'm not even going to waste my time with you because to me this is one of the most outrageous comments. Um and I think shameful. I think there's uh, you know, clearly the facts show it happened. I can tell you I went to Newtown. I talked to family members that were like devastated by this. And I'm sure if we talk to any single family member in Parkland, uh, you know, it, it's clear what happened. I don't think there's even uh, one one thousandth of gray here, Tom. And I think that's just a preposterous comment. And you got to get off the drugs, buddy. But thanks for the call. Let's go to William. Line seven. Go ahead, William. Hey, Rita. Um, The point that I wanted to make is that I've been on jury pools before, and there's sometimes when you're on a jury pool, there's a lot of defiant jurors on there. I sat on a jury pool where a woman silenced herself for a long period of time, and then when it came through to make the the verdict, uh, it was like, you know, this outburst came through. So I, I can't stand that. So they're not even being honest. And on top of that, the thing that really incenses me about this idiot that went out and killed all those innocent people, I can't understand why he didn't put the barrel in his mouth and pull the trigger and, you know, prevent himself from ruining all these people's lives. My heart goes out to those poor people. Yeah, it is. It is just so heartbreaking, William, these family members. And then you got this loony Kazuni who just called me before you who is like thinking it's like in uh, like it didn't happen. You know, I mean, it's like, oh, my gosh. Um, But you know what? I I, there are cases. And listen, you want people to get help. Um, Clearly broken families and problems and the families and all that contribute and shape people who they are. Uh, But there are some people that I absolutely believe you cannot fix. And I believe when someone does something so despicable, so horrible, um, it's important uh, that the appropriate punishment happens. William, thank you very, very much. Um, let's go to Tim, line one. Tim, your thoughts. Yeah, hi, Rita. Um, great show as always. Um, I totally get where you're coming from, and I part of me agrees with you. Um, you know, and my heart, uh, to say my heart goes out to the families is, is it doesn't do it. It's not enough. There's nothing I could say or think. It's horrifying. But, you know, as much as I sometimes emotionally say, yeah, let's fry this guy, kill him, he deserves it, the more sober part of me says, you know, um, well, look, I I respect the position, like, of the Catholic Church, where they, although I'm not Catholic, they say, you know, life begins at conception, and so they're pro-life in that regard. And then, you know, as far as the death penalty is concerned, you know, there's a saying, there's a verse in the New Testament when a woman is about to be stoned to death for 
adultery, which under the law at that time was a capital offense. And the crowd surrounded her with uh, stones. And Jesus said, whoever among you is without sin, let him cast out the first stone. So I, as much as I sympathize, like I, part of me agrees with you, but I just, I, I don't know if I think the death penalty is the right way to go. And then secondly, it doesn't actually deter crime as far as I know. There's no, the, the studies don't show that it actually does anything to deter crime. So I guess the only justification for it would be revenge. Well, two, two, um, two things, Tim. Um, and and I, I hear what you're saying on all those points. One thing is part of the reason that some people believe it doesn't deter crime is because in many cases, there are just a huge amount of appeals because it is such a serious issue. In this case, he pled guilty. So there wasn't a gray. But in cases where people are contesting it and or it's, you know, uh, you know, this one, you know, it was clear as day that he did it. There never seemed to be gray that he did it whatsoever. But he saw him. He did it. He pled guilty. Um, But oftentimes it's this uh, enormous amount of appeals that take place because it is a death penalty case. And if there's contesting or issues, that's why it often uh, takes a lot longer and and often, you know, uh, goes through the system for a long, long time before even if they ultimately do receive it, it's a long time till that happens. They get extra appeals, extra effort because of the sensitivities. Um, the other thing, too, is is though in this case, regardless how somebody feels about the death penalty or not, if somebody was, gosh, I can't give death penalty in any shape or form, then they should have been excluded from this jury. That's sort of, I'm just sort of speaking just from a technical standpoint. And we were just talking, um, a couple of the callers earlier, Stan and others brought up um, a great point that uh, that it's wadir, it's in the jury process. Like whoever, I think from what we're hearing now, whoever was in charge, you know, on the prosecution side and grilled these people, sometimes jurors lie, you know, sometimes they say, oh yeah, I'd be open. They had to admit in voir dire in the jury process that they would consider the death penalty. They, If they had said, I don't believe in the death penalty, they would have been eliminated automatically because then the prosecution would say, we don't want them. You know, they had to fill out a form and say, I would be open to it. And now what we're hearing is that at least one of them from day one was not open to it. Um, so did she lie on the jury form? We don't know. You know, did she was she telling a different story? Uh, did something happen in the course of the trial that changed her? I mean, there's a whole bunch of different things. But you have to have said, I would consider A and B. And if not, you wouldn't be eligible. That's sort of separate than your point. Um, you know, and I hear where you're coming from. It's a very emotional issue when you're dealing with issues of the death penalty. And, and obviously, this is just a, a horrible, emotional, emotional case. Um, you know, in so many shapes or form. It's just, it's heartbreaking. It is so, so heartbreaking, guys. Well, before we go, I want to talk about also a little bit about President Trump, speaking of cases and other things. President Trump, of course, has now gotten the vote coming from the committee. The January 6th committee has voted that they will subpoena him to testify. So now, just a few hours ago, Congressman Jamie Raskin, uh, he was on MSNBC. He's, of course, ultra liberal. By the way, this is the guy who contested um, a prior election, basically said he wanted to contest the electors in the 2016 race. And now isn't it ironic that he's here, you know, questioning President Trump? But, of course, it's the pot calling the kettle black. All right. So, you know, hypocrisy runs deep in Washington. 
But Democrat Jamie Raskin went after Trump today and is trying to entice him to say, testify, voluntarily testify. Take a listen. What kind of snowflake is Donald Trump uh, (laughs) that he's willing to send hundreds and hundreds of other people to go and do his battle um, and to attack police officers with Trump flags and Confederate battle flags and turn American flags into weapons. And he's very happy to do that. And he won't even come and explain himself why he thought he had a right to do that or why he thought that was the right thing to do. What is he afraid of? Uh, One thing he might be afraid of, of course, is that under the Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination, the Supreme Court has determined that in a criminal trial, the prosecutors cannot comment on someone's failure to testify, much less draw an adverse inference from it. Uh, You can't even mention it, and that's grounds for mistrial. But in a civil proceeding, the Supreme Court has found unanimously, and this is Justice Scalia's Uh, big commitment. He was the one always writing these decisions. He said, if you don't show up for a civil proceeding, it's perfectly fine for that not only to be mentioned and talked about, but used against you and for to be the basis for drawing an adverse inference. So if Donald Trump wants the entire country to draw the most negative adverse inferences from his not showing up, well, he's free to do that. Wow. So he's going after saying Trump is a snowflake. Well, last night on the show, we had noted law professor Alan Dershowitz, and he said if Trump decides to testify, Trump is hinting today that he wants to testify. He said, I'd love to testify, only if it's live and unedited, because he's worried it's going to be like a private one and they're going to play little snippets publicly and not the others like we've seen with all the other people that they've played snippets of. Um, So... If he does testify, these are the conditions. This is really interesting. This is what Alan Dershowitz told us on the show last night uh, when he said these are the terms that Trump should ask for if he goes in. Take a listen. Well, if I were his lawyer, and I was once, but I'm not his lawyer now, I would say I will testify in front of a committee on condition that my own lawyer can then redirect examine me because they're going to cross-examine him right? and let my own lawyer then come in um, you can you know, appoint somebody or whatever, but I want my own lawyer to come in and be able to ask me questions so it doesn't become completely one-sided. That would add at least a little bit of balance to the proceeding. So will Trump testify and should he? 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Here is uh, Alan Dershowitz also chiming in on what he thinks of the whole January 6th committee. Well, it's the uh, unanimous opinion of a unanimously anti-Trump committee, which doesn't have a single person who would dissent from anything. This is a committee that would subpoena one of Donald Trump's ham sandwiches, to paraphrase a judge about a grand jury, except that no grand juror would be allowed to serve if he had the same anti-Trump bias. No petty juror would be allowed to serve. This is just a kangaroo committee. And when we come back, I'm going to take your calls. Will he testify? Should he testify? And do you think we'll see it soon? Plus also, our Rita's Ringers, our second installment of some of our favorite calls of the week. You're listening to The Rita Cosby Show. It's The Rita Cosby Show. 
A little bit of Led Zeppelin here on the Rita Cosby Show on Friday night, everybody. And we love your calls. I'm going to get to them in a moment. But we love doing the highlights of some of our favorite calls of the weeks. Here's another installment of Rita's Ringers. I miss your shows. I'm hurt. When I don't hear from you, I'm hurting too, Phil. Rita, always a pleasure. And every time I talk to you, I just feel good. If you were a betting girl, which you may be. Sid, I bet every day I put you on the show. This is Rita's Ringers. You know, Dick Tapper finally tapped into his inner Jiminy Cricket and let his conscience be his guide and performed a random act of journalism when he asked Baseman Joe that question about his age and his effectiveness to run again. I was really surprised he pursued that question. Joe Biden, you know, in my opinion, absolutely belongs in Mount Rushmore with a caption below that says, from capitalism to Bidenism, a nation transformed. Joe Obama, the 46th American president. That's what this is turning into. You know, Tulsi Gabbard, the paid Russian spy, according to Hillary Clinton, said it best. She said the Democratic party has been taken over by the elite cabal who's bidding its force to do to the detriment of the American people. I don't agree with all Tulsi's policy positions, but in my book, she's a true patriot and wants what's best for our country. You know, last point I want to make, as for Joe and Kamala, they are, in my opinion, the Thelma and Louise of our generation, looking to loot the Bank of USA and deposit the spoils in the Bank of China and the Bank of Russia, where Hunter, the smartest guy on the planet, is looking to retire. He's going to paint profile God bless you, Rita. Rita, we forgot he's got a couple accomplishments. Joe Biden has eaten more ice cream than any other president in the history of the United States. And also, he can still call for his slippers. And I don't think he needs assistance in the bathroom, but I'm not sure about that, Rita. And as far as Hunter Biden goes, Joe Biden wouldn't be the millionaire that he is now without the 2,000 mules and Hunter Biden. So he's got quite a thing going, Rita. I don't think we give him enough credit tonight. Rita's Ringers. And keep your calls coming, everybody, throughout the week and see if you make it to Rita's Ringers, which we play every Friday night here on the Rita Cosby Show. We are talking about President Trump, whether he will testify. He says he would love to testify uh, now that the committee of January 6th has voted to subpoena him. He says, what took you so long? But he's also saying, according to sources close to him, uh, reports are saying he wants to do it if he can do it live. That way they can't edit him and snip it out. And he says he wants to go right to bringing highlights to did Nancy Pelosi know about security? He said he's got a whole bunch of bombshells. And if they'll give him a lot of time and make it live, sounds like he might want to do it. Is he bluffing or is it real? one 800 848 Two, two. Uh, let's go to Yvette. Yvette, your thoughts. I believe that. Hi, Rita. First of all, hi. But I believe. Hey, <laughs> I believe that Donald Trump is too arrogant not to testify, and it's going to really bite him. But I think he doesn't have any choice in this case. Um, See, I think Yvette that there's going to be a lot of back and forth. Um, Because he's going to say, you know, what we're sort of hearing, you know, from different reports that he would do it uh, live because he feels like if 
if not, they're going to edit him, and he may want to even have an attorney, like Dershowitz suggested, somebody who could ask other questions, because it's clearly a one-sided committee. And then I think they're going to say, no, you can come, but you got to come this way. We're demanding you come. Then he's going to fight it on the grounds of executive privilege if they don't, if they say that they want it behind closed doors. And then who knows if the Republicans take over, you know, in November, they get voted in. Then in January, when they come into office, it's going to be what committee, you know? So, you know, who knows if this is ever going to go anywhere. Uh, But I think in many ways it's helping him that he said, yeah, bring it on. Bring it on. Let's go to Edward. Line one. Edward, your thoughts about all this. What do you think? Will he testify or not? Oh, yes, I read it. This is uh, uh, Ed. Uh, yeah, this is a very interesting uh, scenario. Uh, I see two scenarios, and you pretty much just uh, just uh, laid it out. Uh, he, he'll fight in the courts, and he'll win. Uh, you know, you can't subpoena a, a pre- an ex-president for actions taken while he was sitting. You know, the sole remedy of the Constitution obviously is impeachment they tried that uh, number number two yeah he, he'll take advantage of it when republicans are are back in the house and they will be uh and then guess what everything comes out yeah and actually you know what's interesting what i think is going to happen ed is what you're saying i think they have then their own committee and then they say okay uh we'll have uh nine people that are all you know pro-Trump on there. And now we'll get the other side of the story. Because, by the way, I think the American public needs to hear all sides, don't you think, guys? Have a great weekend. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.